Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. Today, we are very, very, very fortunate to have on with us Kirsten Butso. For those of you who have listened uh, to us for a while, you've, you will definitely have heard us before her on the show before. She is a longtime product pro. She was an instructor for us for, for many years, and she is currently the Senior Vice President of Customer Operations at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, or HMH, as we like to call it. Hello, Kirsten. Hey, Rebecca. Super excited to be here with you today, as always. I always enjoy our conversations. And one of the things I always like that you bring to the conversation is the perspective from the different companies you've worked with, the different roles you've had. And in this current role that you have in customer operations, I think you have such a great ability to combine all of those and really look at customer operations, right? Which is really about driving customer success and looking at it in a way that's really holistic. And I think maybe even more pertinent to product management and product marketing than they realize. I couldn't agree more, Rebecca. The, the two are so closely intertwined. And I'm really fascinated by leading the customer success organization with HMH because customer success, you know, is really a very immature discipline. It really didn't come into vogue as a discipline. And, and if we're being honest, probably about five years ago, and the big driver for that was as the world has moved to being software as a service, SaaS-based, subscription-based businesses, companies have stood up and realized, wow, we can no longer just sell our customers and then leave and then come back when they're ready to buy again. And that's the first time they hear from us. We have to earn their business on a regular basis because we have a subscription-based model. And so as companies have made this transition to being a SaaS-based business, being subscription-based models, they also have had to evolve all of their customer operations business as well. And so they've created these customer success organizations. Now, what's really great about that is customer success started as, well, we should definitely call have a group of people who check in with our customers on a pretty regular basis and make sure they're happy. So they're just constantly renewing their products and they're perpetually delighted with us. And so the industry stampeded to starting to create a customer success organization. And now we're at a maturation place where the, the industry is saying, wait a second, what does that really mean? And are we too late to the game if we're starting a customer success conversation long after that customer has purchased and implemented their solution? And is customer success really a department or is it a discipline that we need to think about across the entire organization? And I think we would all probably agree it's, it's definitely the latter of the two in that statement that I just made. Enter product leadership because where customer success really starts within an organization is understanding the problems that you're solving in your marketplace and building those solutions that will delight those customers such that all the downstream effect starts to become easier. And when you go ask for that business again in a subscription model, it's a self-evident transaction. So if we think about customer success as a discipline, as a department, as a group whose job it is to perpetually check in with your customers, it's impossible to divide that 
from all of the upstream effects, particularly with the solutions that you're identifying need to be built to satisfy customers' needs in the first place. And I love this way of thinking about customer success because I think, you know, there was the, they bought it, we will come back to them when they, renew, when they renew or when we need them to buy again. We realized that was wrong and we needed to help them be, you know, successful customers and shorten the time to, to, to value and all of those pieces. But so many people thought, okay, we're going to start at that point. They have bought and now let's throw onboarding at them and let's throw like a customer rep who can hang with them. And you're saying like, that's that's too late, right? We can't just think about it then. We have to think about customer success from the very first thing, from when we determine what we're going to build and how we're going to create solutions. Every step of that process, every step of the funnel has to have customer success in mind. Yes, absolutely. You know, what I always say to my team, my customer success team in particular is, Our destiny on success, to a high degree, has been preordained when a requirement for a product has been written. Because it's at that moment that we either have or have not correctly identified what it is that customer needs from us to solve for them in a value-driven, high-impact way. And then we've got to deliver on that. But if that doesn't happen, you know, by the time it gets to us, we didn't even know it, but our future has sort of been predestined. I was watching the um, Apollo 13 movie with Tom Hanks over the weekend. It was on and I caught nice. it. And it's just, a, it's a great movie, right? And I'm always struck by the end of that movie when they talk about the, fa- the, the part that failed that caused the explosion on Apollo 13 actually happened two years before the mission. It was a two years before the mission event. And that's kind of what we we need to think about. We need to think about the connection between what's happening when we go out there to have these dialogues with our customers to make sure that they're up and running, they're renewing, they're delighted, they wanna continue and repeat doing business with us. If we don't understand the connection to the things that we're building way up front and the way that we write those requirements way up front, we're almost setting ourselves up for a shortcoming down the road and we don't even realize we're doing it. So trying to create that interconnectivity is really a a critical way to think about customer success within your organization. But I think, you know, when we think about it, starting up in requirements, there's so many stops along the way that a successful company who's who's sort of put it into their DNA is going to think about because I have built the right product that will help someone be successful. But Am I putting it to that someone, right? would be another price from your product marketing side, your go-to marketing. It could be a great product that solves a problem. But if I am am just A, selling it to everyone, or if I'm not attracting the people with those problems in those areas, then again, I'm not setting it up for customer success. If I've sold a product that what it really, really does is solve problem A, but Kirsten, you don't really have problem A, you've got problem B, then you will not be successful with that product. No, I mean, you're, you're right. It starts with the requirement. It goes to what we build. It goes to how we position it in the marketplace. Are we positioning it correctly? It goes to how we talk about it in the way that we position it in the marketplace. It goes to how we onboard and implement. How are we training people? How are we overseeing their implementation? You know, and if you haven't really made that customer success connectivity at each one of those steps in the value chain, by the time it lands on the customer success proper department's desk, they either have been given a scenario on a silver platter 
or they've been given a moving box that was packed by, you know, a moving company and shows up at your moving destination that is labeled kitchen parts, but it's really got, you know, some photo albums and a base or, you know, variety, various and sundry things, right? So kind of which scenario do they find themselves in engaging in that conversation? And when you think about it, what you really want your customer success organization to, to be able to do is to unleash and amplify all of the goodness that you have set up as a company upstream at every step in the value chain so that they are maximizing customer experiences in a way that drives customer outcomes such that that renewals conversation, the thing you care the most about with your gross retention and net retention rates and customer success are a self-evident byproduct of that chain of events. So then if we think about it from a philosophical perspective, right, as a company, we should strive to be market-driven customer success fanatics, right? So, I would I would definitively agree with that, Rebecca. <laughs> yes. Perhaps we could actually change our titles because I really am enjoying that sort of market-driven customer success fanatic as a, I like the, the two plays, right? You've got to care about your customers in the long run, but you've also got to look at the bigger market so that you're feeding that funnel. You, I think you are distinctly or almost uniquely capable to answer this question. So we've talked about this more and more organizations, certainly more and more organizations we work with do have a proper customer success function. It is customer success, though, is not only a result of those efforts. So for our product teams listening, like what are the steps? What are, how can we sort of operationalize their thinking about customer success and their partnerships along the way? I mean, you know, Rebecca, Pragmatic Institute has a great saying where they talk about Nahito right? Nothing important happens in the office. First and foremost, they've got to get out of the office. They've got to get out of the office and really watch the things that their customers are doing with their solutions. Really, honestly, I know we, we say this all the time, but market problems, market problems, market problems are the top three criteria. Because if that moment in time isn't done with fidelity, the snowball will begin rolling down the hill and it's very, very hard to recover it every step down the hill that it rolls. So market problems, clarity, understanding. Understanding how your customers need help and assistance in implementing and onboarding the solutions that you're providing. Do they require special training? Do you require implementation services? Do you require tutorials? Is a product so easy and self-evident they can just pop it out of the box and begin using it? You might have the answer is yes or not, no to all of that. But the point is part of the solution that you're identifying fulfilling in the marketplace isn't just about the feature functionality that you're building in your product. It's about how do we make sure that the services that we provide to get that customer using that product also are built with an understanding of the problems that that's solving. How do they behave with it? How do they onboard? How, you know, what kind of tool sets do they need? How do they need to integrate things into their environment? It's just as important to understand that as it is to write requirements. And then down the road, once your customers are up and running and using ongoing 
right? Market visits, understanding, okay, what, you know, how do we take the things that they're doing? How do we really understand that? And how do we unleash that? And that's really where that customer success organization is, is critical. I will tell you an example in, in our businesses, we are very, very, very deeply passionate about ensuring that students use our products such that they will achieve grade level improvement from the beginning of the school year to the end of the school year. That's what we live and die by. And that's what the is the hyper focus of our customer success organization is have we done the things to make sure that that customer is using that product with fidelity such that the outcome we're trying to achieve, which is improving a, a student's educational outcomes is actually happening. It's very difficult to do that super effectively if all of that other component tree isn't in place. So what I would say is, well, Nahito is important. It's also important to understand and spend time with people downstream of the solutions and services that you're building and putting into the marketplace to understand from the people who interact with those customers all day, every day, how it's really being actualized. We've talked about this before, Rebecca, and I'm going to I'm going to sneak this into this conversation, but I also uh, lead our technical digital solutions and technical support organization. One thing I'm deeply passionate about is taking top contact center driver information. Why are your customers calling all day, every day and using that as a fuel source way upstream on the things that you're uh, building for your customers, because everything that you see happening in customer success and hear from your customers, everything you see happening where your customers are calling in and talking to you, they are calling you and telling you what you're doing wrong. That is a, a place where customers indicating distress, distress in how you have not fulfilled something for them somewhere along the value stream. And so getting outside your organization is super critical, but also tapping into those resources that are on the front line inside the organization will start to help formulate that um, you know, circle of life, if you will, of what you're seeing, how the products that you're building are actually getting used and actualized in the marketplace. Oh, so much good stuff there. So much to unpack, right? I mean, I think one of the things you talk about, I, I mean, when you, as you were going through that and you were saying, you know, first things, it starts with requirements, it starts with market problems. And I think what we talk about when we talk about requirements to work or user stories, whatever you call them, where you work, right, is that it, it both includes the what is the problem and the who, the persona, right. right, who's it solving? And, and you think about it that way, the product team is the first one to sort of introduce the customer to the organization, to talk about who these are, the problems they are, the how, you know, does it how advanced are they in different areas and all those places? Like they're reflecting that back in. Otherwise, you know, you'd go in blind and then at the end, you'd figure out who your customers were. And that sort of personas and, and to even said, even understanding all the different personas are going to use your product or consume the output is again, such a big part of how product management should support. But also I think those personas as with all of our research goes ongoing is something too that your customer success team would be able to provide some real depth in certain areas as well to keep those evolving and and and, and adding like 3D-ness to them. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. I love what you just said, 3D. And as I listened to you speak, I thought, oh, well, that's what I was trying to say. And <laughs> Rebecca just said it a thousand times better. So now I'm going to just riff off of that and, and take a little bit of a credit, pretend like I came up with it. You know, what I heard you describe is exactly what I was trying to articulate, which is the product manager understands the, you know, what is the problem and who has the problem. And then that goes into the machine. Yep. And downstream, customers are calling. 
customers are interacting with different parts of your organization, your customer success team, your services organization, whatever it is. That's a reveal into whether or not you hit the mark with what you conceived with the who and the what when you started your user stories, your requirements. Because, you know, there's always that art and science component of product leadership, right? You do the best that you can with the information that you have available. I personally have never found, I mean, Amazon sources a lot of product, but I haven't found a crystal ball that actually will prognosticate with metaphysical certitude how you're going to delight your customers with guaranteed outcomes. You're always dealing in the art form of doing the best you can with the information that you have available at the time. You're doing that perpetual validation, but you're not ever going to be 100% right because the market's always evolving. How wonderful that you have places in your organization that can give you a snapshot, a peek behind the curtains that give you an indication of what you conceived. Is it really manifesting itself the way that it can? And that's why it's so critical to have kind of a finger on the pulse on those parts of the organization as well, because they're your friends. This is, this is the part of the organization that can say, yeah, we're looking in the curtain and I'm, I'm telling you, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're hearing. This is how it seems to be going is that what you wanted? Yes or no. And if you start to detect, maybe that's not the thing. Well, how wonderful is that? You have an instant data set that can give you information to go back and do that next iteration, that next evolution, because what you conceive and how it's being manifested in the actual usability of your solutions with your customers may not always be the same. And you have a built-in place in your company that can give you that first reveal. And uh, yeah, I think you're silly not to leverage it. But if you think about it that way too, right? And uh, you think about then the natural checkpoints along the way to make sure we are staying grounded in those problems and those personas, right? And sometimes the, the primary owner of that persona might change a little bit, right? If you have a design team at some point, they they tend to, to they may, they delve deeper onto some of the user personas and then they go to development and then they go to sort of product marketing and go to market and their sales. There's all of these checkpoints as an organization at, at every sort of like, and now the handoff to the next one, that it's not, you know, it's more iterative than that. Every one of those is a place to make sure that we are still grounded in that customer understanding and in that persona, that we're still focused on the problems and the per- people who are having them. Yeah, your whole organization has built-in calibration points, yep. right? Your sales, what we built, what you're, what are you hearing? Are people like, in, are they wanting to buy what we built? No, yes or they want more or this or that, right? Your marketing messaging, your, you know, demand gen programs, right? When we go out there to generate demand for our solutions, is it a pretty easy thing to do because it's self-evident that people want what we've got? So there are, if you look at every functional part of the business, there are these calibration checkpoints where you have, again, it's not market validated data. It's a proxy for the market. It's not direct but it's a pretty great initial snapshot that can give you an instant clue about where you should maybe be spending your time when you get back out into the market because you have an inkling of where it's not sitting quite right with your customers downstream. So instead of having to just blindly go out to gather market data for your next iteration, you have a sense of where things might be troublesome and you can start there. It's an obvious place to start. It's not the only place, but it's a pretty good place. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. One other thing that this, I love talking to you because it always makes me think about different things. So if 
I am a PM and I'm sure many PMs are already doing this. Let me be super clear. I'm not about to like <laughs> reinvent science, but you know, as you're building out your business plan and as you're building out sort of your financials and you talk about here's the revenue and, and you've got to, you should have a really clear line item about sort of recurring revenue. What is the percent we think we're going to renew? What does that revenue look like? Because and this is where uh, I think both of those need to be able to be in the discussion when you're having feature swap conversations, which none of us love to have, but is a truth, right? It is a truth when you get scope creep. It is a truth when you've got timelines. And I, I think if we're not discreetly talking about those two and the importance of both from the beginning, it's very easy to end up with a product that's going to drive the initial top line to the harm of the ongoing renewal rates. And you wanna make sure you balance those both out so that you're not pushing the problem downstream in the organization or just down further in your financials, right? So I, I think by being really clear upfront that my the revenue from this product, there's the upfront revenue, there's the ongoing revenue. Here's how we think that if we build these right features, we're going to see this and the other pieces allows you to take that whole picture into account within the organization. Yeah, I love the way that you just couched that about using that to evaluate, make the, making those trade-off decisions. Because, yep. you know, the world exists, you know, we all function in an, in an environment of, of allocation of scarce resource, period, end of story. The world is not filled with unlimited resources in any way, shape, or form, regardless of the resource in question. And time, money, you know, scope is no different when making those difficult decisions about what you're gonna build for your product. I would encourage product managers to think very carefully about your gross retention rates and your net retention rates, right? So are we keeping the customers we have and what's it take to keep them? And are we expanding customers as well? So it's not enough just to keep the customers that you have, but you also want to be perpetually expanding those customers. So having a real sense for what your gross retention rate is, what your net retention rate is, what the drivers of those two numbers as indication of churn and expansion are providing, and then balancing your feature trade-off discussions to make sure that you're sort of covering both buckets. When you yep. think about the solutions that you're going to put your limited resources to because you can't do it all. And, but if you, if you, you know, if you put it, it's kind of like going after new business versus keeping the business that you've got, right. You've got to think about keeping the business that you have, but you also want to think about what it's going to take to expand your marketplace. Yeah. And I mean, you really do need both, but sometimes I think product could, in some situations, certainly no one listening here, but you know, you, you, you focus most on sort of the net new revenue and building the products and offerings that, that bring in, right. And, and maybe abdicate a little bit the responsibility for the other pieces. But I, I think it's an important part to own in the design upfront. Cause as you said, it doesn't start at the end. It starts at the beginning. And sometimes the features or the offerings or the time spent in development upfront may not be as sexy feature, but maybe just even more critical to the, the online piece. And it just allows you to arm those two pieces. Yeah. You know, it comes back to the three slices of the market segmentation pie where you've got customers, people whose problem you've already solved are in the market using your solution. You have evaluators, people who are actively shopping to solve a problem and you have those potentials. People who you know have a, a problem that you don't even know or they don't even know you're going to solve for them. And 
if you don't balance all three pieces, you know, it's it's not not to use a, a trite analogy, but it really is a three-legged stool. And if you only ever focus on one slice of the pie or two slices of the pie, it will always be at the detriment of a different slice of the pie. And so it's really critical that you're constantly balancing all components because, you know, one of my favorite quotes is um, the modified quote from Carl Sagan is reluctant, reluctant mutators often perish. If you only keep talking to the same, you know, your customers over and over and over again, they'll keep reinforcing all the things that they want you to do with existing solutions, but they'll never take you to that next innovative place. That has to come from those potentials. And so if you trade that off, you know, you'll be Kodak. I mean, you'll be name any various and sundry companies that I'm sure their existing customers were perpetually reinforcing, telling them how great they they were doing on building the things that they wanted, yep. but they overlooked those that potential in the marketplace. Conversely, if you only think about the, the shiny new objects and you end up with an irate customer base, well, that's a, a primary source of your expansion, right? So it's at the detriment. So it's really always, it's it's very much a balancing act. And what I think is is great, you know, where we started this conversation is, you have ready-made data points to help you with this balancing act throughout your organization that you can leverage. And you don't have to start all of these conversations from scratch out in the marketplace because you've got those uh, data points that you can leverage. Now, again, the holy grail is what the market tells you. Everything you do, everything you deliver must be dictated only by the market, only by your customers, right? Absolutely. Um, Everything, your release schedules, your messaging, your sales plans, that all has to be market driven. But I really am such a firm believer that you have so many wonderful proxies of the manifestation of what you are doing and building as product leaders throughout your organization that can jumpstart you and frankly save you time likely in your roles. It's just such an often overlooked uh, resource that I, I really think people should think about tapping into. Absolutely. And like you said, it's that balance, right? Market-driven, customer success fanatic, but it's got to be based on, on the market. Okay. My final question, you know what it's going to be. If you could have people listening do two things differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, Kirsten, what would it be? Two things differently tomorrow. I would deeply encourage, can I only have one thing? Can it just be one? Does it you want to give it like it? all of the extra yeah, but can, can it be okay. like can it be like a four, like a point A, point B, one? So I, I <laughs> look, I don't, I don't know how many numbers this will qualify for, but this will be my answer. <laughs> I think what I would really love product leaders to do is take one week on their calendar. I know I'm asking a lot. Maybe you spread it out over a month, you know, five weeks, one one day a week. Wipe your calendar clean and go spend time on the front lines with some other part of the business. Go on a sales call, go listen to technical support, go sit and watch a customer success manager in action. Just go do a listening and learning exercise. All right, now it is going to be two. So that's the first thing you're going to (laughs) do. And then the second thing you're going to do is you're going to use that information to calibrate what it is you really need to have at the core essence of your being as a product leader. And that is getting that market data. So just 
putting that as a an, an iterative constant calibration point for I'm conceiving things based on solving a problem in the marketplace is the way is the way I'm conceiving it manifesting itself in actual usage am I tapping into those data insights and using that to help inform my next actions as I go back out into the marketplace to gather additional market data. So that would be my call to action. I know that was a little convoluted, but it's a smart crew that listens to these, at least I'm, I'm gonna assume. Um, I don't know if smart people are gonna turn into my podcast per se, <laughs> but I know, I do know you have an exceedingly smart audience. So I'm gonna assume it's a, it's a, it's a smart group and they'll be able to put that together. And I think it's, I'm pretty confident that they will find that you are a good rule follower and came up with two just as asked. So that's okay. perfect. Thank, thank goodness. All right. Thank you, Kirsten. As always, it is so much fun to have you on. Super fun. I always love the opportunity and uh, it was great, great visiting with you today, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 